The date, May 1st, 2022. The place, coffee shop, Yad Vashem, Jerusalem. Most of the other members of our group on this tour to Israel were going through the Holocaust Memorial Yad Vashem on this warm afternoon in Jerusalem. It was nearing the end of the day, and we had already been to Masada and En Gedi. Abby and I decided to forego the hour or so it takes to wind through the maze of displays of documents and photographs depicting the horrors of the Holocaust in the various parts of Europe. But there are no photos or videos that convey the feelings and emotions of the subjects on display. The videos of absolute destruction coming out of Ukraine in 2022 may arouse our feelings of anger or horror or pity, but they don't communicate the sounds or the eerie silence, the smells, the fear experienced by those who are the victims of war and persecution. Or could it be that after six months we've gotten used to the reports from Ukraine, that so much so that we no longer pay attention to what we hear or see? Or worse, the news is no longer breaking news, so it isn't even reported on. The same could possibly be said of the on-again, off-again fighting in Israel, which has been the case for over 70 years. So it is with Yad Vashem. It's no wonder that visitors exit the memorial almost in a state of stupor. Their visual senses overloaded with the images. The mind can only process so much horror. Abby and I already knew. We were there in 2010, so we decided to have a coffee while the rest of the group went through the memorial. As we sat in the coffee shop, we were joined by our tour leader, Dr. Al, and our local tour guide, Sheeta, both of whom had seen the memorial many times and, being Jews themselves, obviously felt the pain inflicted on their people even more intensely than we can. It was an opportunity for Sheeta and me to learn a little more about each other. I was the one in the group who continually pestered her with questions about language. How do you say such and such in Hebrew? How is this word pronounced? I've put a blog post at my website, www.erpotterpodcast.com, that has more information on this point, so check that out. In telling my story, I mentioned how, at the age of 13, I had heard the call of God to preach. It was a Sunday afternoon, March 20th, 1960, on the prairie in Colorado, as I climbed over the pasture fence to bring the cow back to the barn for milking. I say I heard the call of God, not because there was an audible voice, but because the call could not have been clearer if there had been a bolt of lightning and a voice thundering from the sky. The course of my life was set from that moment on. The rest of my life would be inextricably tied to preaching and teaching the Word of God. I told Sheeta of a similar, but not as dramatic, event when I was 16, as I listened to missionary Steve Montgomery tell of his call to preach the gospel where Christ had not yet been preached. That's a reference to Paul's words in Romans 16. My call of three years earlier was further refined. I knew that one day I would preach the gospel in Brazil. As I got to this point in my narrative, Sheeta said, that was your hinani. The Hebrew word rang in my ears. And I knew exactly what it meant. What's more, it rang true in the depth of my being. Hinani. 
One word in Hebrew, literally, behold, I, but to make sense in English, translated, here am I, or variations such as, here I am, or I am here. But what does it mean? The first significant occurrence is in Genesis 22.1. The text says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, hineni, here am I, he answered. Thus begins the story of God asking Abraham to take his only son Isaac and offer him up as a burnt offering. And Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and carried out the Lord's instructions. When Abraham and Isaac walked towards the place of sacrifice, Isaac's curiosity got the better of him. Verse 7 says, Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father? And he replied, Hineni, my son. Isaac had carried the wood, but where was the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham's reply was that God would provide the lamb, and they walked on to the top of Mount Moriah and built the altar. It was only after Abraham had bound his son Isaac and placed him on the top of the wood on the altar and raised his knife to slay him that the angel of the Lord, and it wouldn't be wrong to think of Jesus speaking at this point, the angel called out, Abraham, Abraham, and he repeated that same word. Hinani, here I am. It's a poignant picture. Not only a divine foreshadowing of the Heavenly Father giving His only beloved Son as a substitute sacrifice for our sins, but it was a test of Abraham's faith. It's mentioned in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and he was offered his unique son, the one that had been said about, Your seed will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead. And as an illustration, he received him back. When James writes that claiming to have faith and not proving it by our actions is meaningless, nonsense, he cites this episode in Abraham's life and says, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son on the altar? Nothing sums up Abraham's role in this story more succinctly and clearly than this thrice-repeated word, Hineni twice in response to God's calling his name, both times resulting in immediate obedience. What if on the second time he had said to the angel of the Lord, "Uh, Can you hold on for just a second? I'll get back to you. I'm in the middle of doing God's will and killing Isaac. Moses had his Hineni moment at the burning bush in Exodus 3. Verse 4 says, When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Hineni, he answered. And so began Moses' part in bringing the children of Israel out of 400 years of bondage. He balked at the call in the beginning, but we know the rest of the story in serving the Lord. And 1,400 years later, he got to stand with Jesus and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. It all began with Hineni. We need to mention to others and the role Hineni played in their lives. One is the young boy Samuel, being raised by Eli the priest, as his mother Hannah fulfilled her vow to give her son to serve the Lord, if he would give her a child and end her barrenness. As Samuel lay in the tabernacle, the Lord came to him and said, Samuel, Samuel. 
Hineni, he said, and ran to Eli. Hineni, you called. But it hadn't been Eli's voice, and Samuel had no experience in hearing God speak. Eli sent him back to bed, but the same thing happened two more times, and the third time Samuel came to him, Eli realized it was the Lord calling Samuel. The next time the Lord calls, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The ministry of the prophet Samuel, who would later anoint Israel's first two kings, began by saying, Hineni. And there's perhaps the most famous Hineni in Isaiah 6, uttered by Isaiah as he had the vision of God on his throne. Upon witnessing the indescribable glory and the holiness of God, he cried out, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, and because mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 6, verse 5. His lips were then cleansed by the touch of a burning coal, and the seraphim said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah then hears the Lord say, Who should I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Hineni, send me. There's a consequential lesson from Isaiah's response, but I'll come back to that. These four cases, Abraham, Moses, Samuel, and Isaiah, illustrate the essence of Hineni, here I am. First, they all involve a direct call from God and a specific task to be performed, but which isn't revealed fully or sometimes not at all at the time. Second, there are no two alike. Abraham's experience demonstrates the importance of an immediate response to God. His obedience was unquestioning and spontaneous, and God provided all that was needed. Moses argued that he was unqualified. But in response to his hinini, God provided everything Moses felt he lacked. Samuel was young and knew very little about the ways of the Lord. But it's never too soon to tell the Lord, hinini, when he calls you. And judging by Abraham's case, whose response to God came when he was 120 years old or so, if God calls, you're never too old. Isaiah was specifically sent to preach the word of the Lord. God had a message he wanted his people to hear. Hineni, says Isaiah, send me. And the Lord did. But he told Isaiah from the outset, the people are not going to accept what you say. They will reject your word. You will be unpopular. In fact, tradition says he was sawn in half. Even so, says Isaiah, Hineni, send me. In the case of our own calling, I had no clue to what I was saying yes to, what the next 60 years would bring. Our resources were limited and many times reduced to nothing. But God faithfully provided all that was needed to do what he called us to do. I even contemplated the possibility of having been called to an Isaiah-type ministry, in which success was not in the cards, as the saying goes. On many occasions, I was challenged to respond to the comments and doubts of others in regard to our calling. Those challenges will appear in the course of our story. But I share two examples here. In March 1975, we informed the church in Santa Cruz do Rio Pardo, Brazil, where we had been working for three years, 
that God had called us to Madeira Island, Portugal. Their initial reaction was, But what about the communists? What if they take over the government? That question was occasioned by the fact that the fascist regime that had ruled Portugal for close to 50 years had been overthrown in the revolution of April 25, 1974. In the following months of political and social confusion, the opposition forces jockeyed for position and the center-left parties finally called consolidated power. But in November 1974, Left-wing military forces attempted a coup to take the country to the extreme left to install an openly communist regime. My response was, Well, that has nothing to do with God's call for us. God did not say, Go to Madeira as long as the communists don't take over. I then went on to say, Why, even the communists need to hear the gospel. Less seriously, the Brazilian brethren also expressed concern because we were going to Madeira Island, and the Bible says all the islands will disappear in the end of time. To that I replied, Well, if Madeira does sink into the sea with us on it, at least we'll go secure in our eternal salvation. But what about those who never heard the gospel? A few years later, as we were struggling to get the work started on Madeira, we had just two families— seven or eight persons, who attended on a more or less regular basis. One day I went to talk to Conceição, who for some reason had gotten crossways with me. She said she wouldn't come to the services in our house any longer and she would make sure the other family didn't come either. Then where will you be with no one at your services? she asked. I simply replied, I'll keep doing what God called me to do. I'll preach the word. He didn't tell me to preach as long as you and your family are attending. Now, here's a spoiler alert and a teaser. We later became convinced she was involved in witchcraft, and that's a story that will come later. God never set any performance targets, baptisms per year, or budget targets, or churches planted. He didn't call me to be a success. I often thought about Isaiah's call. From the beginning... He had been told he would not be a success, but he went anyway. God called me to preach, not to baptize, as Paul himself said was his calling. Judging by the world's standards, Jonah was perhaps the most successful of all the prophets, despite his famous response to God's call. That was the very opposite of Hineni, and it earned him a three-day cruise in the belly of a fish. In Luke one thirty-eight, we don't know if Mary said, when she was informed by the angel she was to be the virgin mother of the Messiah. We have only the original text in Greek and not in Hebrew, but her words are the essence of Hineni. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done unto me according to your word. The word Hineni itself is not the important thing. You'll say, well, I don't speak Hebrew, and Hineni means nothing to me. The Hebrew word is not a magic formula and type of open sesame or abracadabra, just as being saved is not the result of correctly answering four carefully worded questions in the proper order. Hineni is not like the mantra of Hare Krishna or the repetition of a prayer such as Hail Mary. Hineni is expression of an attitude of heart. It says, I will obey immediately. 
I will trust God to supplant my weaknesses. I have no idea what God expects of me, but I will follow anyway, even if the world believes I am a failure. I say all this in the context of a calling to the foreign mission field, but the principle applies every day, everywhere, in every situation. We're now living in the United States where most would say or think that we came back home. Well, they're wrong. We've always been at home. Wherever God calls us to serve is home. We were at home in Brazil. We were at home in Madeira. We're at home in Arkansas. This is true because at every stage we said, Hineni. No matter what situation you're facing, tell the Lord, Hineni, I'm in your hands. I'm your servant. Do unto me as you see fit. You see, Hineni is more than just the response to a teacher's roll call in class when the student responds, here or present. The old hymn says, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. It refers to the coming of the Lord and the roll call for the first resurrection. But the Bible says there will be another roll call 1,000 years later when all the dead and the living will be called before the white throne of Christ. They'll be judged according to their works. Those not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Hineni, here am I, may be grammatically correct in this case, as everyone will be present, and they will have no choice but to submit to the Lord Jesus. But that's not the Hineni we are called to express. Let's think again about the encounter between God and Adam after his disobedience in the Garden of Eden. Remember God called out for Adam, who instead of replying, Hineni, like Abraham, Samuel, or Isaiah, he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Hineni is the opposite of hiding from God. It says, Woe is me, for I am a person of unclean lips, but just as I am, Hineni. Do unto me as you see fit. And what about the greatest expression of Hineni in history? The one uttered by Jesus as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. My father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it. Hineni. Matthew 26, 42. You'll be amazed at how this response will simplify your life and bring peace. In effect, it's a decision that will resolve all the decisions you make in life. In effect, before going to the foreign mission field, I made a decision that has been valid for the rest of my life. Hineni. It applied in Brazil. It applied in Madeira, Portugal. It applies in Harrison, Arkansas, United States of America. It applies in sickness and in health, in times of abundance and in times of financial difficulty. Hineni today, Lord. Hineni tomorrow. Hineni for eternity. Our next episode is entitled Going, Going, But Not Gone. Fifteen Months on the Road.